Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Everybody's talking about tariffs. The stock market, the effect on commerce. Everybody's talking about uh, obstruction and impeachment. We'll get to all that stuff. But I want to get to something else first. I feel like it's about every other week I have to come to the microphone to deal with this anti-Semitism. It's really unbelievable. You know, I'm not like the New York Times. I'm not going to uh, cover up uh, these things like they covered up the Holocaust. But I do want to get into some of this with you. You've heard Representative Rashida Talib, And wonderfully, she's one of two, the first women Muslims elected to the House of Representatives. I love when these things happen. We have the first this elected to the House, the first that elected to the House. Anything to get away from substance. The constant balkanization of this country. I could care less if they were the first women Muslims elected to Congress. I don't care if they're transgendering atheists elected to Congress. I don't care. You know, you call the mix. Doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is what comes out of their mouths and hence how they vote. Are they pro-American or anti-American? And she's clearly anti-American. Her parents came here, both Palestinians. They came here voluntarily, their desire Nation welcomed them with open arms, and she's been on a hate for America move, I mean, uh, since early on. And she's a radical, just like Omar is a radical. And she was on a Yahoo podcast, and everybody thinks they're so smart. Well, it's not what she said that really matters in terms of Holocaust. What really matters is she got her history wrong, like they're mutually exclusive. Now, I'm going to play the entire one minute and 45 seconds. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're a person of faith or an atheist, you really ought to listen to this because this is the growing wing of the Democrat Party. It really is. And it is repulsive. It's unconscionable. And it's getting worse. And you didn't hear a damn thing from Nancy Pelosi today about this, did you? You didn't hear a damn thing from Steny Hoare about this today, did you? You didn't hear a damn thing from Chuck Schumer, who's Jewish and from New York. You didn't hear a damn thing from him today either, did you? But you did hear from the President of the United States, who repudiated this. Oh, he took it out of context. No, he didn't. And neither will I. Cut three. Go. Congresswoman, you've created something of a stir by coming out in favor of a one-state solution in Israel and Palestine. Now, Um, let's stop there. If you're a Jew hater and you hate Israel and you think Israel's illegitimate, what do you think a one-state solution means for her? What do you think a one-state solution means for her? 
She's well aware of Hamas. She's well aware of the terrorist activities of the PA, well aware of all of this. So when you're talking about a one-state solution, she's talking about effectively a final solution, that you eliminate Israel as a state. Everybody should be equal. Everybody should vote. Well, guess what? There's a hell of a lot more Arabs than there are Jews in that part of the world. That's what she's talking about. But these analysts on TV and radio are such nudniks, they don't even understand what the hell's going on. There she is, a Democrat. You proud of her, Detroit? You proud of her, Michigan? Go ahead. The only uh, Democrat who's publicly supported a one-state solution. So what is your vision uh, for a one-state solution that meets both uh, uh, Palestinian and um, Israeli or Jewish national Now this guy asking the questions is a real nebbish. He's getting to the point. He knows where he's going with this. How can you have a one-state solution that involves uh, uh, the Palestinians this way? I favor a one-state solution. A Jewish state. She doesn't favor that. Well, let's see what she tries to do here. Go ahead. Absolutely. And let me tell you, I mean, for me, just uh, a few, uh, I think two weeks ago or so, we celebrated... um, or just it took a moment, I think, in our country to remember the Holocaust. And there's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell Okay, folks. right, right, right there. That's the phrase of it, calming feeling. Honestly, folks, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. When I heard a calming feeling, you get a calming feeling when you see the pictures of people being led into gas chambers? Or when you see the skeletons coming out of ovens? And when you see it, you get a calming feeling? Well, she really didn't mean that. Well, is that what she said? Yeah, but listen to the rest of what she says. Okay, let's listen. Go ahead. When I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that... Stop there. You see that? She said the tragedy of the Holocaust. Calming feeling tragedy of the Holocaust. Bizarre, really. Truly bizarre. Go ahead. Ancestors, Palestinians lost their land and some lost their lives all right stop there i'm going to deal with this Uh, palestinians didn't lose their land or lose their lives well they may have lost their lives depending on what they were doing but they didn't lose their land it was never palestinian land ever 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 and i'll get to that later the fact there were never palestinians yasser arafat made that up i have an idea palestine will call ourselves palestinians they're bedouins they're arabs the vast majority of whom lived in what we call today Jordan. All of a sudden, they had some kind of a claim on Jerusalem and Hebron and Judea and Samaria. Dust off your Bibles, ladies and gentlemen. Tell me, where are these people in your Bible? They're nowhere. No offense. See if you can find the Jews in your Bible. Oh, look at that. They're everywhere. Because they've been there for 3,500 years. Now, all the, oh, the... Jews took the land from the Palestinians. What are the Palestinians? Their history is like 112 years old. No offense. Go ahead. The human dignity, um, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews. So you see, the Palestinians who were not there. We're trying to create a safe haven for the Jews. Did you know that's how this happened? The Palestinians were trying to create a safe haven for the Jews. Nobody believes that crap. That's not historically accurate. 
obviously. I'm going to tell you about the Palestinians creating a safe haven for the Third Reich in a moment. Go ahead. Post um, the Holocaust, post the tragedy and horrific um, persecution of Jews across the world at that time. And I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that, right? Listen, Listen to this. Her ancestors provided a safe haven for the Jews. Did you know this? In Palestinian territories. Just keep listening to this. Go ahead. Um, but they did it in a way that took their human dignity away, right? And it was So the for- Jews took the human dignity away from the Bedouin Arabs who were never called Palestinians until most recently. They took their human dignity away. They took their land away. In some cases, they took their lives away. And here, all they were doing is giving a safe haven to the Jews. Go ahead. On them. And so when I think about a one state, I think about the fact that why couldn't we do it in a better way? Where, yeah. and, and I don't want people to do it in the name of Judaism, just like I don't want people to use Islam in that way. No, 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 no. no. We don't want to do it in the name of Judaism or Islam. Let's just have a popular vote. You know, like the Democrats talk about in America. Let's just have a popular vote with a tiny, tiny percentage of Jews as a result of pogroms and genocide and the third right down to six, seven million with a tiny, tiny number of Jews and the Arabs get an equal vote. That's all we're asking. A one state solution. Go ahead to be done in a way of values around equality and around the fact that you shouldn't oppress others so that you can feel free and safe. Why can't we all be free and safe together? This is a remarkable thing. Are they free and safe in the Gaza Strip where the Palestinians have control? Are they free and safe under the Palestinian Authority where they have control? No. People are brutalized, tortured, murdered. Uh, let's look at the rest of the Arab world. Vast majority of the Arab, are they free and safe and people equal in the rest of the Arab Muslim world? A vast majority? No. In the Middle East, anyway. All we want is Israel back. And a straight up or down vote, that's all. Oh, you mean like in the Gaza Strip where they had a vote and Hamas won and they never left? This is insanity. And these two dolts sit there. This guy, Clayman and Isakov, two dolts, they just sit there. Like dummies. They don't even know how to respond to this. So here we are again. Dealing with the Democrat. Dealing with anti-Semitism. Mark, that's not anti-Semitism. Yes, it is. If you understand history, you know exactly what she's doing and what she's talking about. And the calming feeling of the Holocaust. Nobody talks that way. Unless you have a long, deep, and wide history of being a bigot which she does. I hope you'll stick around. We're going to have a little history lesson. I'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus. 
the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. By the way, Kavanaugh, we're going to talk about that, starting to throw with the lips. That's not a result of the hearings. This is the one damn program, and I'm the one host, who kept warning everybody that Kavanaugh really isn't that solid. Now, we got into the fight with the Democrats. That was a different issue, what they were trying to do to him and so forth. But Kavanaugh was not that solid, as you know. I had problems with him from the start, and I was criticized. I had judge friends of mine. What do you have against Kavanaugh? This. Well, because of the hearings, look what he's, look, he's buckling. It had nothing to do with the hearings. He was always this way. Why do you think the Bush people were all over this? Why do you think his law clerks were slobbering all over him on National Review and everywhere else? You weren't allowed to criticize the guy. I pointed it out at the time. And now I'm not going to go back to the recordings, but I could. While all the other hosts were full in. Now, I defended him to the hilt against the mob. Of course I would, because that was grotesque. But in terms of his judicial philosophy, he was never a Scalia or a Gorsuch or a Thomas. Never, ever. Any more than Roberts is. So if I have time, I'll get into that, too. But don't let people who are all in for Kavanaugh philosophically now all of a sudden tell you it was the hearings. Was it the hearings? I told you about his decision in Obamacare that Roberts used. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Turned on the tax question. I said, that was outrageous. What other examples do you have? We had other examples, and I used them. I get sick and tired of this positioning stuff way after the fact. See what happened? No. It was always this case. He was always this way. And over a conservative review, my buddy Daniel Horowitz, same thing. He said the same thing. I think we were alone. Maybe uh, Shapiro said the same thing, as I recall. But that's it. There was nobody else. A little bit of uh, history, ladies and gentlemen. If we run out of time, we will go and continue it after the break. I've talked about this before. This is from, what is this from? Timeline.com. Louis Anslow. I don't know who Louis Anslow is, but he gives a good summary. When the Nazis heard Muhammad Amin al-Husseini calling for Arabs to kill the Jews wherever you find them, they knew they had found an ally in their terrible ideology. Adolf Hitler believed Muslims could be manipulated into being a powerful tool for the Nazis. And for the most part, he says they were wrong. But I want to get to al-Husseini. Who was he? He was the grand muckety-muck in Jerusalem. 
for what we now call the Palestinians. He's the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, the highest-ranking Muslim political leader. Verently anti-Semitic, history of organizing aggressive actions against Jewish people in the Middle East, regularly broadcast propaganda over Nazi-controlled radio stations, was involved in murdering Jews. And so uh, Al-Husseini explained to Hitler in a letter found not too long ago, the Arabs had the same enemies as the Nazis, the Jews, the English, and the Russians. Now he met with Hitler... This is the top Palestinian muckety-muck. He met with Hitler. According to a, the German recording of their meeting, Al-Husseini said the Muslims, under his sway, were prepared to cooperate with Germany, with, I'm quoting, with all their hearts and stood ready to participate in the war, not only negatively by the commission of acts of sabotage and the instigation of revolutions, but also positively by the formation of an Arab legion. And he was tasked by Hitler with recruiting Bosnian Muslims into what became the 13 Waffen Mountain Division of the SS, the first non-German SS division. This was the partnership. Hitler had declared Muslims racially inferior in Mein Kampf, yet he recruited and met with al-Husseini. Hitler went on to say that the Mufti seemed a man with more than one Aryan among his ancestors and declared him an honorary Aryan. Bosnia's Muslims were also declared pure Aryan, too. It seemed military and political ends trumped everything else. Heinrich Himmler, the commander of the SS and one of the chief architects of the Holocaust, also said he had nothing against Islam because it promises followers heaven if they fight and are killed in action, and that it was a very practical religion for soldiers. And he saw an opportunity to manipulate that belief. In fact, it was Himmler who suggested to Hitler raising a Muslim SS division in the first place. Now, members of the 13 Waffen Mountain Division wore fezes emblazoned with Nazi insignias. How about that? Pictures from the time show SS members with pamphlets of anti-Semitic propaganda, which, judging by the title, framed Jews as the enemy of Islam. The Waffen Mountain Division of the SS comprised 20,000 troops and mostly fought communist resistance forces in Bosnia. It fought seven other campaigns for the Nazis in the Balkans regions, playing an active role in atrocities committed against Jews there. In all, 12,000 of the 14,000 Bosnian Jews were murdered. Ancient synagogues were destroyed. The last members of the division surrendered to the British in May of 1945. No, 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 Mark, you don't understand. The Jews were welcomed with open arms. Here they were, the Palestinians in these areas. Guess what? That's a lie, too. The Palestinians were not in these areas. They did not, quote-unquote, occupy these areas. They came into these areas decades before, after the Jews began resettling the area under the Zionist movement. More on that history when I return. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. 
And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. Ever notice how you come across somebody once in a while that you shouldn't have messed with? That's Mark. And you can call him at 877-381-3811. I've got lots more, folks. You're going to get a real history lesson here, as you do most of the time on my pro. By the way, as an aside, just as an aside, I, I walk you through these things because they're fascinating to me, if not annoying, okay? The book business. The media. I have nothing against Howard Stern. I think he's a fascinating talent. I really do. Two articles on him in the New York Times. On 60 Minutes. On CBS Sunday Morning. On Colbert. On blah, blah, blah. In other words, the culture embraces him. And good for him. Again, I, this is not about him. The culture embraces him and they promote him. What's the chances I'd be on CBS Sunday Morning, despite the fact there are millions, 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 and millions of you? Despite the fact we've had five New York Times number one bestsellers. Zero. What's the chances I would be on 60 Minutes other than them trying to destroy me with a camera up my right nostril? Zero. Zero. What's the chances I'd have two articles in the New York Times unless they are, of course, attacking me, which happened once or twice? Zero. You see how it works? This is why I rely on you, the best audience of audiences, you Levinites out there. We don't need to launder this book and what we say in the book through Stephen Colbert and through CBS and 60 Minutes and all the rest. And the book comes out literally in eight days, eight days, unfreedom of the press. I sat down with Paul Bedard today. We did an interview for the uh, Washington Examiner. He was terrific. He's one of the handful of journalists who's left and um, you'll see the people who are actually impressed with this I don't have any lesbians in my book I must confess Mr. Producer so I don't know if Mr. Producer will buy the book or not yeah I just don't I'm sorry and uh, I wish all authors the very very best it's just that the very media that I Exposed in this book is the very media that does exactly this. Exactly this. So there'll be two reactions in the Democrat Party press to try and ignore it or to try and smear it in me. I'm ready for either because I have you. You live in Ites out there. I want to strongly encourage you to go to Amazon right now. We're eight days away. I really want you to have this book when it comes out. Last time I had Liber- li- uh, uh, Liberty and Tyranny. They sold out. Nobody expected them to sell out. We sold 117,000 books in the first week. And they didn't have enough books, so then it pops up. Available in two weeks. I don't want that to happen to you. 
I really don't, because we have a lot to go over with this book. So I want to encourage you, whether you're thinking of Father's Day or birthday, or just you need to read it, or you need to get copies to family members and friends, now's the time to jump in at Amazon.com on Freedom of the Press. Now let's turn to some, some more history here, ladies and gentlemen, from our friend Mort Klein at the Zionist Organization of America. He said, uh, Talib went on and claimed that her Palestinian ancestors were wiped out in many ways and some lost their lives and human dignity in the name of trying to provide a safe haven for the Jews. In fact, long before the Holocaust, as he writes in Breitbart, the Jewish people had the international legal right and historical and religious rights to reestablish the Jewish nation in, in Israel. The Jews are the indigenous people of Israel, so-called Palestinian Arabs, moved in the area from North Africa and surrounding Arab countries after large number of Jews returned to the Jewish homeland in the late 1800s and early 1900s due to the jobs and better economy the Jewish pioneers developed. And yet, while Israel's Jews sought to live in peace with their Arab neighbors, and you know a lot of this history, didn't work out that way because many of them worked to destroy the Jewish people. And so-called Palestinian Arabs helped persuade the British to slam shut the doors of the Jewish homeland prior to World War II, thereby assuring the deaths of millions and millions, six million innocent Jews at the hands of the Nazis. Palestinian Arabs brutally murdered hundreds of Jews in pogroms in Hebron, Jerusalem, and Zaf in 1929, 1936-39. Jerusalem Grand Mufti Haj Amin al-Husseini, who I just mentioned to you, collaborated with Hitler in the murder of Eastern European Jewry, plotted and incited the murder of Israel's Jews, and helped develop anti-Jewish Muslim propaganda concepts that are still used today. And after Israel declared her independence on May 14, 1948, local Arabs joined the six Arab nations who immediately went to war to annihilate the Jewish nation, murdering 1% of Israel's Jewish population. So you understand the problem here. Yet she says, there's always kind of a calming feeling. I tell folks when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, the Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, their hum human dignity, their existence in many ways have been wiped out. And some people's passports. And, I, and she was going about to say something about that. And then she stopped. Let me tell you about this woman. Yesterday, she sweeted support, as Klein points out, for Iman Omar Suleiman, the virulent anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, anti-Christian, anti-gay, anti-woman imam who the Democrats chose to give the opening prayer in Congress last Thursday. And Representative Zeldin is furious about it. Talib's tweet, moreover, accused those who complained about Omar Suleiman's record of, quote, hate that seeks to silence, intimidate, and bully American Muslim leaders, unquote. Iman Suleiman, Klein writes, calls for deadly intifadas against Israel, falsely compares Israel to the Klan and to the Nazis, falsely calls Israel an illegal occupation, falsely calls the USMB in Israel an illegal embassy, falsely accuses Israel of committing massacres, apartheid, genocide, and ethnic cleansing, demonizes pro-Israel Jews and others by stating that 
The Zionists are the enemies of God, his messengers, sincere followers of all religions, and humanity as a whole. He has called Jews apes, according to Klein, and pigs, deceitful, and people who incurred God's wrath, calls Christians misguided, and threatened promiscuous Muslim women that their fathers will kill them in so-called honor killings, to name a few. Now let's talk about Talib's own anti-Israel statements and actions. I actually saw a Jewish liberal Democrat young lady on TV today defending her. And as Klein points out, it's unfortunately hardly surprising Talib is supporting Omar Suleiman, of course, that we just talked about. What about her? She's also now abusing her position and apparently congressional funds to recruit a congressional delegation to join her on an anti-Israel trip to the so-called occupied territories in Palestine. The false name that Talib's formal written invitation gives to Judea and Samaria. Now, her support for the anti-Israel BDS movement. Talib also openly supports the anti-Semitic boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, which demonizes Jews in Israel, aims to completely destroy Israel, is affiliated with terror groups, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, as well as Fatah. BDS targets the Israeli people, Jews around the world, universities and academic exchanges with Israel, and American and worldwide companies that do business with Israel. And it goes on and on and on. Some of you aren't going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think most of you will, actually. They keep talking about impeaching Trump. They keep trying to concoct grounds for impeaching Trump. Talib should be expelled from the House of Representatives. Not because she's one of the first women Muslims, but because she is a Louis Farrakhan, David Duke type poisonous hater that the American people should not have to tolerate. That the American people should not have to tolerate. I mean, for God's sake, you're going to pass a resolution on Steve King and pat yourselves on the back? Okay, fine. No resolutions when it comes to Omar. No, 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 no. We'll, uh, we'll make that ambiguous, and we certainly won't mention her by name. And Talib, she has people all over the media defending her. I am telling you, ladies and gentlemen, as I've told you for several years, you can smell it, you can see it. This rising tide of Jew hatred in the Democrat Party is a grave threat to this republic, as is the rising tide of any kind of hatred of this sort. The President of the United States sees it. He knows it. He confronts it. He addresses it. And today, in mediaite, this increasingly sick website, which is obsessed with Donald Trump, twisted what he said And Talib said, into a criticism of Trump, well, you know, he's been accused of anti-Semitism. He could be accused of whatever the accuser wants to accuse him of. There's not a lick of evidence that he's ever done anything in his life that is anti-Semitic. He has Jewish family members. I don't think Talib does. The Anti-Defamation League, Nancy Pelosi, all the rest of them. The Anti-Defamation League, taken over by an Obama sycophant. 
And in many ways, Obama unleashed all of this. In many ways, not always. There's others and other, other events. But he embraced radicals. He embraced a minister for 20 years, sat in the pews. A minister, Jeremiah Wright, who spewed the same crap that this woman spews. Then we have this from the Associated Press the other day. Nation of Islam leader, Minister Louis Farrakhan, who is really embraced by a lot of Democrats, referenced satanic Jews in a speech denying allegations of anti-Semitism, misogyny, and homophobia after Facebook banned him from the social media platform. During the speech last week at a Roman Catholic church on Chicago's south side, Farrakhan asserted people shouldn't be angry with him if I stand on God's word, also saying that he knows the truth and separate the good and separate the good Jews from the satanic Jews. He was invited to speak at the church by Reverend Michael Flegger. This guy is a real nut job. After Facebook banned Farrakhan, among others. He turns 86 this weekend, or he just did, I guess. Said those who think he is a hater don't know him and have never had a conversation with him. He added that those who hated him before and got to know him came to love him. He went on to say Facebook's contention that he is dangerous is true because he says he can be re- it, it, it can be researched by listeners. Social media, you met me tonight. I plead with the rulers, let the truth be taught. And it goes on. You heard about this? No. How about Talib? Has the leadership of the Democrat Party condemned him? Condemned her? No. How about the chairman of the DNC? No. No excuses are being made for her. What about the the religious leader who had the floor of the House of Representatives as a result of Nancy Pelosi? Another bigot and Jew hater. What about him? No problem. We're out to get Trump. We can't pay attention to this stuff. And damn it, I feel like I have to do this every other week, every third week, come behind this microphone with these people. It's unbelievable. It's sickening. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arne argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course, Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free. At levinforhillsdale.com. That's L E V I N for Hillsdale.com. Some guy named A. Bossom 
or Bostom or something or other, trying to make his name on me. Stop emailing me, you jackass. What, do you got a problem? I'm tougher than you are. Who needs these people? These lightweights, these nobodies, as far as I'm concerned. I'll stick them in my spam folder, Mr. Producer, don't you think? I don't know who gave him my email address. Shame on them. He's static. He gives me an earache. Eight days and counting, ladies and gentlemen, to the big release of unfreedom of the press. 60 minutes, are you out there? What? You're not? The New York Times requested a copy of the book. That'll be fun since, since chapter 6 is an evisceration of the New York Times. But this book, as I say over and over again, is written about you. Now, Mr. Producer started reading the book. Mr. Call Screener started reading the book. They love this book. And one of the things Mr. Producer said, you have stuff in here about Obama and how the press treated him. You don't talk about that enough. I'll get to it. We've got plenty of time. I'll get to it. But I'm telling you right now, unless we are way ahead of number two on this list, the New York Times is going to push us down their list. Very dishonest about these things. Because they're not going to like Chapter 6. This I know. But they ought to fess up to their coverage of the Holocaust or lack thereof. They ought to fess up to their coverage of Stalin's slaughter of the Ukrainians or the lack of their coverage. They ought to fess up to it now. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. We're going to get to China and these other issues. There's plenty of time. Only one-third of the program's over. I could use a Hershey's bar right now, but anyway. So, uh, Joe Scarborough, I'm going to play this to use this as an example. He's on the morning schmo. I mean, the show's named after him. Schmo Joe and the morning schmo. And he's there with Michael Steele, the former head of the RNC, and they get paid a lot of money to trash conservatives and Republicans and then to pretend that they're the true conservatives and Republicans and anyone who disagrees with them or supports the president against Hillary or whatever, that you're a sellout, that conservatism is dead because you don't agree with them. Cut four, go. You know, Michael Steele, I am so amused by people that come up to me and say, oh, you know, I used to, you know, I, you, you used to be a Republican and I used to support your views. I said, well, my views haven't changed. Right. <laughs> I'm still for balanced budgets. You're not. I'm still for free trade. You're not. I'm still against... Let's stop there. I had a friend of mine email me today. I'm not for free trade with China or with Iran or with North Korea or with Cuba. I'm not for free trade with our enemies. I never have been. I think that's crazy. I'm for free trade with non-enemies. They don't even have to be our allies. But I'm not for free trade with our enemies. I mean, should we also eliminate our export control requirements? Because we have export control requirements with countries that 
our adversaries or potential adversaries. We have all kinds of strict trade requirements on enemy states. So I, I'm not understanding this. I am a free trader, but I would never I would never encourage free trade with enemy states, would you? And if China's not an enemy state, I don't know what it is. I make a a distinction between Canada and China. Canada and Cuba. Canada and North Korea. And so forth. That's just basic rationality. Reasoning. He says he's a free trader. He says he's for a balanced budget. Go ahead. You're for it. I mean, like these people beclown themselves because they have adopted. They have adopted overnight. Um, Actually, extraordinarily liberal views on massive federal spending, uh, shutting down borders, uh, closed borders, which used to be that union bosses wanted borders closed to, you know, drive up wages. And and so all of this stuff, Michael, let's just stop there. You see what's going on on the border? You don't support securing the border, closing it if necessary. He must be unfamiliar with Calvin Coolidge. There was almost no immigration, period, during his near two terms of presidency. There were several decades where there was almost no immigration in order to allow assimilation. You, you can't look at the last over 50 years and what's been taking place and look over the last five years, the last five months taking place, and act like... We're against immigration. You're against this. The circumstances have completely changed. So he is a rambling buffoon, but there's more to this in a moment. Go ahead. And Republicans and conservatives believed in our entire life, balanced budgets, free trade. Oh, yeah. Free, uh, 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 Ronald Reagan's belief of uh, a, a, a nation of immigrants. Donald Trump has completely trashed that. And these mindless sycophants, not just in Congress, but some people come up to me and say, why why aren't you a Republican anymore? I mean, they've all had, like, brain transplants, and they're thinking like liberals. It's crazy. You see how he puts you down? Now, here's the truth. Joe Scarborough is a mouthpiece for MSNBC and NBC now. He's a mouthpiece for the Washington Post that runs his op-eds from time to time. He's a paid employee by these organizations. And he plays the role of some kind of conservative and Republican. He's left the Republican Party. He's never been very conservative, and today he's not conservative at all. So he goes through these lists of massive spending. We've talked about this. But that's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump signs the bills that come. Should he have vetoed the last bill? Yes. But he said why he didn't. He was concerned about underfunding the United States military. He had a rational reason, even though I disagreed with it. But it was, it was Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell that presented that budget to Donald Trump. His friends. His friends. He talks about the border and immigration. Like this is 1986. Ronald Reagan wouldn't do the same thing over and over again. When he signed an abortion bill, it was a limited abortion bill, it was an abortion bill nonetheless, he said it was the biggest mistake he ever made. Because the doctors were abusing it, different organizations were abusing it, that is the language, and he became an ardent pro-lifer. 
And honest to God, I was involved in the Reagan Revolution in 76 and 80. I never heard of Scarborough's name, ever. So in attacking Trump, he uses Reagan, he uses conservative positions. But he's none of those things. He gives a face and a voice to MSNBC. He is a pseudo-conservative. He's a non-Republican. He gives a face and voice to MSNBC so they can say, like with Nicole Wallace or whomever, see, we have Republicans too. We have conservatives too. Joe Scarborough, like the left, like the media, use our nomenclature in order to attack us. Perfect example of what I write about in Unfreedom of the Press. And he is quoted from time to time. Certainly, I'm not going to write a book about Joe Scarborough. Most of all, it would be a coloring book, and it would be very short. Of saying the most heinous things about this man. And if he would tell the truth, what Scarborough is incapable of, he would explain to you this is all personal with him. His support for Trump early on in the primaries was personal, and his hate for Trump is personal. Trump referenced a story that's been going around on the Internet about something that may or may not have taken place. It did not take place, but they say it may or may not have taken place. And so he infuriated Scarborough. And ever since then, Scarborough sounds like Mika Brzezinski. It's not a matter of conservatism or republicanism with this clown, with this fool. First of all, if you're a conservative Republican, do you really think you'd get a hosting show in the morning on MSNBC? Of course not. The reason Scarborough failed on radio is because you, conservatives, in talk radio, you saw right through this clown. You saw right through him because he's a fraud. So when he goes on and on and stutters in pitched voice with his dramatic know-nothing arguments. He's doing that because he's paid to do that. That is, he's doing that because it's expected of him. He was too much for Trump, you see, and then he turned on Trump, on personal matters. Then he wraps himself. The irony here is massive federal spending. Whatever the Republicans spend, which is way too much, the Democrats always spend more. Whatever debt the Republicans create, which is way too much, the Democrats always create more. No excuses. Unfortunately, this is the problem. There are no fiscal conservatives left in the leadership of either party. When he goes on about the border, you can see he's a complete fraud. A complete fraud. And why doesn't he mention the things the president has done that are conservative? Not just things that aren't. He has a magnificent record in nominating people to the Supreme Court, excuse me, to all of our courts. A magnificent record. To all the courts. It's an imperfect record because that's the way it goes. Some of these people turn or you do the best you can to get the best kind of person you can on this court or that court. It's an imperfect record, but it's much better than Hillary Clinton's record would have been, is it not? How come he doesn't talk about slashing federal regulations? That's a big deal, and he has slashed federal regulations in a significant way. How come he doesn't credit him with slashing taxes? Because he sounds like a liberal when he talks about the Trump 
tax cuts. He can't give them tax cuts, you see? He's got to sound like Nancy Pelosi. By the way, if you put a picture of Pelosi in it, aren't they kind of, they look kind of similar, really. And uh, there are other great aspects to Trump's record, quite frankly. He doesn't mention Trump's record when it comes to really his attack on unemployment in this country, which has been stunning. He doesn't talk about Trump's record when it comes to Israel because he prefers Trump to be viewed as anti-Semitic and racist, which is also why he doesn't refer to Trump's record when it comes to the unemployment rate in the black community, the unemployment rate in the Latino community. Never. Or rarely. When he starts ranting on and on about Trump. He never provides historical context. Ever. About what past presidents have done. And Michael Steele's become a clown. He's become an absolute clown. I guess this is his only job. I don't know. But these guys, they live in multiple lives in their own heads. They feel really good that they're pure conservatives and pure Republicans. No, they're not. They're a joke. Why does Michael Steele think that he's on MSNBC? He's on MSNBC because he parrots what Joe Scarborough says. Like all the rest of Joe Scarborough's guests. Why do you think Joe Scarborough is on MSNBC? Because he parrots what the Democrats say on MSNBC. It's not like he's a courageous standout. It's not like day in and day out he's a conservative. He's not a conservative. If he'd been a conservative... He would explain to you why we have this massive debt. If he'd been a conservative, he would explain to you why Trump is not anti-Semitic or racist. If he'd been a conservative, he'd explain to you what a nation state is and why we need to secure the border. He'd talk about tax cuts and the effect of regulations. So while he's trashing conservatism out of one side of his big mouth, he's promoting progressivism out of the other side of his big mouth. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. NBC. MSNBC is obviously an appendage of NBC. NBC and CNN are tied for the worst reporting in the first 100 days of the Trump administration. Now, what do I mean by that? 90% of their stories were negative, according to the Harvard Shorenstein Center, hardly a right-wing organization. 90%. And Joe Scarborough works for that network. Now, let me ask you something, folks. If you were a real conservative and a real Republican, again, he's bailed on that because, you know, the Republican Party left him. Good idea, Republican Party, by the way. I mean, he's left people. We might as well leave him. Ah, but where was I? Oh, yes. 90% negative. The Scarborough Show is probably 100% negative. Does that sound like a conservative to you? No, it sounds like a propagandist to you, right? Because that's what he is. And that's what they are. 
MSNBC, and more and more, that's what the media, the media are. I told you the other day, the media are one thing. A free press is another thing. A free press is another thing. If by a free press we simply mean the government should not interfere, fine. But if by a free press we mean that it actually services the American people, services the American people with information and news that they ought to have, as opposed to social activism and progressivism and the agenda of the Democrat Party, we don't have it. We don't have such a press in this country. And I'll tell you what, as I explain in the book, the press is destroying the press. And this is not a good thing. And this is not a good thing. There are a handful of people in the press who I really admire. I admire Brett Baer. I admire David Brody. I do. I admire Paul Bedard. There are a number who I do. Maybe 12 or so. But that's it. Because they try. Martha McCollum. I admire her too. I do. Again, there are others. I'm going to miss them. I'm sorry. But but it's a relative handful. It's a small percentage of people. It's not, it's not a significant number. When you look at the media in this country, as I was explaining in an interview today, you see different cycles. This is a very bad cycle. It's probably the worst cycle in American history. Probably the worst cycle in American history. <clears throat> we had the Patriot Press pre-revolution, post-revolution. We had the Party Press from about 1800 to the beginning of the Civil War, where newspapers aligned with specific parties, specific candidates, specific causes, and frankly worked very closely with them, were paid by them, and so forth. Then you had... Yellow journalism, which I don't get into because we kind of have it today, too. Then you had the progressive movement, the late 1800s into the early 1900s that continues to this day. And they wanted to, quote unquote, professionalize everything. See, you're too stupid to participate in your government. You're too stupid to participate in media. You're just too stupid. The people need to be managed by really smart people who happen to share the progressive ideology. And this is true if you read uh, Rediscovering Americanism at some length. Well, of course, they feel the same way about the media. Walter Lippmann, who was an iconic writer back then, he basically said, and John Dewey said it before him, he basically said, look, the people are busy. They're too busy. You know, to really understand what's going on in the world, they have their own lives, they live really in a myopic way. So it's up to a handful of us, basically, to really follow what's going on and then explain it to them. Explain it to them. Rather than just report the damn news. Now that has been perverted today into, well, we can explain it to them, but now we have an agenda. A social activism, progressive, Democrat Party agenda. And it's going to bleed into the news. We're going to devour the news gathering process. We're going to devour the news reporting process. And this is what we're going to do. And some of their philosopher kings, 
<clears throat> where professors write about it and explain it, which is what I, I show you in the book. If you think the media are biased, you're correct. If you think the media are liberal, you're correct. The media have lost half the country. The vast majority of Republicans and conservatives do not believe the media anymore in the aggregate. And yet the vast majority of Democrats and leftists do. What does that tell you? And this is even before President Trump. I'll be right back. Tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Cracks me up every time I hear it. In 2000, measles was officially declared effectively eliminated after a massive effort to vaccinate the public. Right now, there's an outbreak of measles in 22 states, and we're at risk of losing our elimination status. But that's not all. In Los Angeles, they're having a typhus outbreak, along with hepatitis A, which has also hit New Mexico, Ohio, and Kentucky. Sounds like all these kinds of diseases in the third world. May I, may I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Yes, I think I am. Now, this is putting aside the fact that some diseases are becoming more and more resistant to antibiotics. Now, Field of Greens makes no claim that it can cure or prevent any disease, but here's what we do know. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. And given the choice, I feel better going out in public after taking my Field of Greens. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, or call 833-RING-BHN. That's their new toll-free number just for us. 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with the promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com, or give them a call. They're there right now. 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Tariffs and Trade. Tariffs and trade. See, I don't buy the argument that China takes $500 billion out of the United States every year. Now, stick with me. You're going to hear the whole argument because I favor heavy tariffs against China, but I'll get into that in a minute. They take $500 billion out of the country and do what with it? Make stuff. What kind of stuff? All kinds of stuff. Stuff that you want. Or they wouldn't be able to, quote-unquote, take $500 billion out of the country, now would they? They buy stuff, too. But we have an imbalance of trade. An imbalance of trade. Most rich nations have an imbalance of trade. You know why? Because most Americans want stuff. And they want stuff as cheap as they can get it. That's why we have an imbalance of trade. It's your fault. It's the consumer's fault. It's the fault of the American people. It's also the fault of government in some respects. Even with all the tax cuts, we have a nasty internal revenue code. It's very nasty. And it's unforgiving. We have nasty EEOC laws. We have a labor department that gets down the the, uh, 
throats of businessmen and women all over the country? It's much harder than it used to be to start a business in America. It's not just the feds, it's state governments in your face, local government, endless zoning laws. Ask a guy that, or a gal that opens a restaurant in this country how difficult it is. How difficult it is. Will the states and the localities and the federal government micromanage your menu? Where the tort, law- tort lawyers are all over the place. Oh, you gave them peanuts and you didn't have a warning and uh, that guy had four drinks and you shouldn't have had four. I'm, I'm telling you, it's hard to stay in business. But anyway, that's not why I favor tariffs against China or Iran or North Korea or Cuba. I don't believe in free trade, balance or imbalance, with countries that have as their purpose to destroy the United States. I don't believe in that. I don't believe we should treat China as Canada. That's why I don't support heavy-duty tariffs on our allies. Whatever the hell they're doing, doesn't matter. doesn't matter because tariffs are a tax on you. Not a tax on Canada. That said, it makes it more difficult for China to get our products, which China wants, in order to make stuff for you. Even more particular, China does not segregate its civilian activities from its military activities. China basically takes an ownership interest in every American company that does business there with front groups where they take 51% of the business so they can steal the proprietary information, technology. And they're using it against us. There's a lot of reasons that there ought not be free trade with China. And as I said earlier, we have a whole regime of export controls that are operated out of the Commerce Department and the, and the State Department which are intended to protect us from hostile countries with whom we do trade. China's one of them. But it's not good enough because China steals our technology and our companies that want to go there are willing to partner with China, quote-unquote, with a gun pointed to their head because they look at all the people there and they look at the market there. So free trade with China is ultimately destructive to this society and the future of a peaceful society, in my view. We have to acknowledge what China is and what China is doing. Same with Iran. These are hostile countries. It's not Canada. It's not Mexico. It's not Australia, what have you. South Korea. And so I believe in it. Not for economic reasons but for every reason I just stated, and more, and more. China's building a military that is intended to defeat us, economically or otherwise, to choke off navigable waters, to choke off our ability to get uh, material from other countries. Uh, They are building uh, military sites in the third world, including in our own hemisphere, they control both ends of the Panama Canal, and I would ask my friends, do you think that's a good idea? my so-called conservative libertarian friends, why is China doing that? 
to make a buck? Well, sure, but why else are they doing that? I mean, it, it, it's in, in some ways, it's the rise of an empire that has as its purpose to defeat the United States, one way or another. And this is a brutal communist regime. I mean, we understood that with the Soviet Union. Did we have free trade with the Soviet Union? Of course not. Well, why not? Because they're the enemy. Well, it hurt a lot of people. You know, we could have had free trade with the Soviet Union, and maybe they would have bought more wheat, and so, well, maybe they would have. China's the enemy, too. No better. Except they have 1.5 billion people. China's the enemy, in my opinion. What do you think they're building those fake islands for? In the South China Sea. They have the ability to cut off 5 to $6 trillion in commerce, right there. If it wasn't for the United States, that's exactly what they would do right now. Well, we're reaching a point where China will have the ability to tell the United States, what the hell are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You got Pat Buchanan in the background and others, code pink Republicans, saying, you know, what are we going to do about it? How about free trade with Iran? You think that's a good idea? Iran, that has killed American soldiers, a sworn enemy of the United States, that is building ICBMs and, and behind the scenes has been working on nuclear warheads? Think that's a good idea? I thought we thought it was a bad idea. I thought when Obama talked about his deal with Iran, which essentially undid most of the restrictions and allowed $150 billion to flow back into this country, which that country which they claimed... That's free trade. You think that's a good idea? No, it's not a good idea. We don't have free trade with Cuba. Is that a good idea? Yes, that's a good idea. We ought not have free trade with Cuba. Now, what about all these other countries that are not belligerent countries? Well, why shouldn't we have free trade with them? Why shouldn't we? That's my Viewpoint. That's my position. People keep asking. I don't know why. I talk about it all the time on the air. No, it's not the business of the government to protect American business. It's the business of the government to protect America. Well, Mark, what about these industries? No, we have competition. It's called capitalism. Well, we can't compete fairly. Well, there's a lot of countries that can't compete fairly with us. I've told you this before. We have 12,000 tariffs in place, and that's before Donald Trump became president. We got sugar subsidies, mushroom subsidies. We got subsidies up the wazoo you and I are paying for. Why would you defend that? And most of these companies are extraordinarily wealthy. Excuse me. People getting very rich off our subsidies and our protections. I mean... Except when there's a national security issue involved, it seems to me, as much as possible, we ought to support trade and commerce. There's an entire provision about that in our Constitution. When the states would interfere with other states. They tried to resolve that in the Constitution. Now, of course, the Supreme Court took that and perverted it to allow the federal government to control everything. That was not the purpose. At all. So free trade with non-belligerents. But when it comes to enemies, of course there's no free trade. We don't sell them all of our technology. We shouldn't. 
We don't give them access to, to all of our fuel, and we shouldn't. Or our metals, and we shouldn't, because we know what they're capable of. We know what they want to do with them. That's crazy. And yet when it comes to the other countries, it's crazy not to. If Canada wants to subsidize the eggs that are sold in the United States, why is that a problem? Well, what about the producers of eggs in our country? What about the uh, producers of milk in our country? That's not fair. I don't know. What about the producers of sugar outside of our country? What about the producers of mushrooms outside of our country? I have no problem if we want to have a no-tariff policy. You have no tariffs, we have no tariffs, and so forth. What's never discussed in all this, I'm not talking about China and Iran, but the rest of the world, is the consumer. What about the consumer? The consumer doesn't live to subsidize one industry or another, one union or another, one farmer or another. The consumer is the consumer. Farmers are consumers too. When you have all kinds of tariffs on on steel and aluminum, what do you think happens to the cost of farm equipment? It goes through the roof. It goes through the roof. Steelworkers who get subsidies, their companies do now. What do you think happens when you subsidize other products or put tariffs on other products? Your cost of living goes up too. And for what about and what about all of you out there who are not subsidized or you work for businesses that aren't protected by tariffs? That's the vast majority of the American people who carry the freight, who pay the increased costs, who pay the increased taxes when it comes to the federal income tax and so forth. It's people who really don't have a voice in Washington, D.C. or not part of a specific industry. Anyway, I have no problem with, in fact, I support decisions that are made against our enemies or belligerent states uh, that would otherwise harm us even further. I have no problem with that. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. What have the modern media and present-day journalists created? In a democratic society like ours, and more especially in a highly literate, wealthy, competitive, and technologically advanced society, the people can be flooded by pseudo-events. For us, freedom of speech in the press and of broadcasting includes freedom to create pseudo-events. Competing politicians, competing newsmen, and competing news media contend in this creation. They vie with one another in offering attractive, informative accounts and images of the world. They're free to speculate on facts, <clears throat> to bring new facts into being, to demand answers to their own contrived questions. Our free marketplace of ideas is a place where people are confronted by competing pseudo-events and are allowed to judge among them. And when we speak of informing the people, this is what we really mean. This is Professor Borsten and on Freedom of the Press. The American citizen thus lives in a world where fantasy is more real than reality, where the image has more dignity than its original, 
We hardly dare face our bewilderment because our ambiguous experience is so pleasantly iridescent. And the solace of belief in contrived reality is so thoroughly real. And he blames the media for this. And he's right. And so what I've done in this book, ladies and gentlemen, is I look at the horizon. Step by step. Like a prosecutor. I look at the big picture. And then I break it down into its pieces. As I said the other day, this book is about an explanation. I'm an explainer. That's what I do. That's what I do every day behind this microphone or in front of a television camera, or in my books. I explain things. And the media today is a huge fissure, as I said the other day, a huge fissure in American society. And it needs to be explained. Not just with quips, not just with sayings, not just with allies. It needs to be unraveled piece by piece. Otherwise, we can't put it back together again. And I want you to remember something. It's your media. Freedom of the press belongs to you, just like freedom of speech, just like the Second Amendment. These are your rights. These are the Bill of Rights. And so you need to know all about this particular one, freedom of the press. Big picture, and I'm an explainer. And then it's better to understand what's coming through the screen, what's coming through radio, what you're reading. From propaganda to pseudo-events. From social activism to progressivism, to Democrat Party agenda, to censorship, to omission and commission. You are going to love this book. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. I think you will. I know you will. Just like my ex-chair. Since getting my ex-chair, I love spending time in my office. I never realized how uncomfortable my old office chair was until I sat in an ex-chair. Now I have the comfort and support my body needs, and because of that, I'm more productive than I ever imagined possible. X-chair's secret is the Dynamic Variable Lumbar Support, or DVL. This patented feature is what sets the X-chair apart from every other office chair in the world. Ideal posture and support equals comfort. And when you're comfortable... The hours spent in the office honestly fly by. Switching to an extra is the smartest business investment I've ever made, and you need to feel the DVL difference for yourself. Extra is on sale right now for $100 off. Just go to extralevin.com, extralevin.com, or give us a call at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR, 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. Extra comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. And you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairlevin.com, use X-Wheels, and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair, too. That's xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com. I do love my X-Chair. I'm sitting in it right now. I couldn't be more comfortable. All right, ladies and gentlemen, during the break, you head over to Amazon.com. Now's the time to do it. And I'll see you in about seven or eight minutes. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I want to challenge 60 minutes. I want to challenge 60 minutes to interview me about unfreedom of the press. Not to go back to 2009 or 2011 or 2003 about the book. I want to challenge 60 minutes. That's the biggest muscle they have, right? In the media today. I want to challenge 60 minutes, one-on-one, with me, any one of your hosts, to interview me about unfreedom of the press, to have an honest discussion about the mass media in our country today. Again, Not cherry-pick my history and things I said, you know, uh, 14 years ago. No. I want to have a discussion about freedom of the press. Now, I'm making this challenge on the air so millions of you can hear it, so people working at 60 Minutes can hear it, people working at CBS can hear it, the entire media can hear it. This isn't a shtick. I'm serious. Will 60 Minutes do it or not? Again, the challenge is this. A segment on unfreedom of the press. They can make their case for the modern mass media. I'll make my case for what I think the modern mass media have become. Fair and square. Fair and square. We have millions and millions of people in the radio audience. This is the third biggest show on the radio. It's a huge show on our podcasting. You know, the number that's bandied about is eight and a half million. I have to tell you the numbers I look at, 10, 12, 14 million. I'm quite serious about this. It's not the same. It's yeah, it's been eight and a half million since I started. It's much larger than that. Yeah, like like saying there's 11 million illegal aliens for the last 20 years. But I'm quite serious about this. I want to have a debate on this issue with the people I write about. And the biggest would be 60 Minutes. I grew up watching 60 Minutes. Everybody's heard of 60 Minutes. If you can give a segment to other authors, I want to have a debate. I want to have at least a discussion. Let me put it that way. Let me make my case about unfreedom of the press when you try to make your case that we have a free press. Is there a problem with this, Mr. Producer? Seriously. Seriously. A legitimate, substantive discussion. Not cheap shot stuff, not cherry-picking backgrounds, not about Let's do it. As for the New York Times... I am prepared to discuss with the New York Times chapter 6 of my book and what their newsroom did during the Holocaust and what their newsroom did during the starvation of the Ukrainians by Stalin. Let's have that discussion. I'm prepared to have that discussion. Is the New York Times prepared to have that discussion? And if not, why not? If not, why not? I'm prepared to have a discussion 
with Jeff Zucker, not his hacks and all that, with Jeff Zucker, who runs CNN with an iron fist. I am prepared to have a discussion with Jeff Zucker about his treatment of press reporting. I'm quite serious about this. I would like to know why CNN had 90% negative news in the first 100 days of the Trump presidency. I'm prepared to talk to the president of NBC News, Andrew Lack. Been around a long time, this guy. How is it that NBC News had 90% negative reporting on President Trump in his first 100 days? You know, he never had a honeymoon, Trump. You know, they talk about honeymoon with the press. Not for a minute. Not for a minute. I'm prepared to have a discussion right here with Chuck Todd of Meet the Press, the chief political journalist for NBC News, about his decision, his position, a decision to refuse to allow anybody with a contrary opinion on so-called man-made climate change to ever be on Meet the Press again. He called them deniers, a term that is applied to Holocaust deniers. He called them climate change deniers. I would love to have that discussion about his decision and about the alternative viewpoint. I want to discuss this book with these people. Now, I understand that all of them, or almost all of them, are not going to do it. I understand it. But what does that tell you? What does that tell you? I'm leading point on this for us. I'm leading point on this with this book. I put all my positions out there. I've put my scholarship out there. I've put my over 400 footnotes out there. I've made the case about propaganda and pseudo-events, about social activism and progressivism, about the Democrat Party press and on and on. I've made my case. Now let them make their case. That's what this is about, right? Engaging, discussing. Because in the end, freedom of the press is about freedom of speech. That's why it's in the First Amendment. That's what the revolutionaries were thinking about and talking about. The ability to speak to each other. The ability to debate each other. What's the purpose of a free press? If not to engage with people like me. It's not a must, but it would be useful, don't you think? What's the purpose? It bears remembering, as I write, that the purpose of a free press, like the purpose of free speech is to nurture the mind, communicate ideas, challenge ideologies, share notions, inspire creativity, and advocate and reinforce America's founding principles. That is, to contribute to a vigorous, productive, healthy, and happy individual and to a well-functioning civil society and republic. And the media are to expose official actions aimed at squelching speech and communication. But when the media function, as a propaganda tool for a single political party and ideology. They not only destroy their own purpose, but threaten the existence of a free republic. It's not 
for the government to control the press. And yet the press seems incapable of policing itself. And so I would encourage the powers that be at the at 60 Minutes. I would encourage the powers that be at the New York Times, don't do your little hit and run stuff. Let's engage. I would encourage Jeff Zucker, Andrew Lack, let's engage. How about we have a little freedom of speech activity going on here? Or are you going to just send out your hacks to do their little hit jobs? To do your little hit. Wow, you know what he said in 2009? You should have heard him on the radio. I want to discuss this in the worst way. Now, we're going to discuss it. Millions and millions of us. I'm going to discuss it with some of our wonderful radio affiliates all across the country. I'm going to discuss it with some of the wonderful programs on Fox, the Christian Broadcasting Network, other, other television opportunities, Sinclair. And by this, I don't mean Brian Stelter and people like these are these are little munchkins. They're nudniks. They're 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 mosquitoes. I want to talk to the people who make the decisions. Well, Mark, sixty minutes. Sixty minutes drives a lot of the media in this country. The New York Times drive a lot of media in this company, in this country. They do. They've got an enormous amount of power. To celebrate people and make them, and to destroy people. An enormous amount of power. But regardless of what they do, we'll keep trying to engage them. It's actually more important that you and I engage each other in this discussion. And we spread the word from community to community the way the colonists did with their pamphlets. That we talk about what we expect out of the media. That we talk about what we, how we want to approach the media. That we talk about what we want to listen to or what we want to read. Or what we want to watch. It's important that we have these discussions around the breakfast table and the dinner table. It's important we have these discussions in our churches and synagogues and yes, our mosques. It's important we have these discussions. You work for charitable organizations. It's important that students raise these issues in their classrooms. It's important that we use freedom of speech to get back the free press. I'll be right back. I view this program as an effort to make a difference, all of us. To make a difference, not just report on what's going on, but to be part of what's going on. And that's different, right? Now, we talked about Kavanaugh. We talked honestly about Kavanaugh. And what did I say? I said he's no Scalia. He's no Gorsuch. He's no Thomas. And he's turned out to be exactly that. He's turned out to be exactly that. I'm going to get you callers, too. Just hang in there. Not because of the hearings, but because that's always what he was. Two things were a dead giveaway. Some of his major opinions. 
particularly in the Obamacare case, which was effectively plagiarized by Chief Justice John Roberts. Why didn't other hosts tell you that? Why didn't other hosts tell you that? And then we got into this battle with the, with the Senate and the media against Kavanaugh. And, of course, we defended Kavanaugh. Man is not a rapist, let alone a gang rapist, and so forth and so on. So what they did to him was disgusting. But you and I were sober about this. We, we knew that he wasn't as described by too many and so many. And more and more, it's revealing itself. He wrote the opinion joined by four leftists on the court and opposed even by Roberts, which has now massively expanded the ability to bring class action suits against Apple. Now, you may not like the leadership in Apple. Oh, they're, that, that has nothing to do with this, folks. A group of consumers that sued Apple claiming the company's monopoly over its app store led to inflated app prices. This is uh, how The Hill writes it. Apple disputed the legality of the suit, arguing the consumers had no standing to sue the company because it merely operated the app store as an intermediary between users and developers who make and sell apps. And they're right. And they're right. Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote the opinion for the 5-4 to four decision with the four progressive justices joining in. The Supreme Court ruled in 1977 in the case called Illinois Brick Company versus Illinois that only direct purchasers of products had standing to bring antitrust suits. In his decision, Kavanaugh rejected Apple's argument that it was the app developers and not the company operating the app store that sold the programs directly to users. Now, you might say, oh, that's good. No, this is a trial lawyer's dream. These tort lawyers, these trial lawyers, almost all of whom are Democrats, you drive uh, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. You drive down the road that, that um, uh, borders the ocean, all these massive homes. Many of them are owned by these trial lawyers. Leading the dissent for the four conservatives was Justice Neil Gorsuch, who, like Kavanaugh, is a Trump appointee. He argued that if Apple's app store practices are indeed monopolistic, then it would be the app developers who are harmed and have standing to sue, not the consumers. Because the price wouldn't change for you, ladies and gentlemen. It would just be a different party adding in the price. And so what Kavanaugh did here with the others is completely change existing law. And he wrote the opinion. And he does this more and more. More and more. And unfortunately, it was predictable. When I was asked which person I would support, and you heard it here. It's funny how a lot of these hosts on TV and radio, they're not going to play back what they said about Kavanaugh, that he's conservative, he's originalist, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to play that back for you. Why don't they? No, they're not going to. But why don't they? It's just easier to blame it about the hearings. No, it's not the hearings. This is who he was. That's why I supported Berman and said so, and others, Mike Lee, and said so. That's just my opinion. 
Let's go to Brian, Great Falls, Montana, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? I'm great, sir. How are you? Fine, thank you. Great. Let me start off by saying that I am not a never-Trumper. I am an ever-Trumper. There you go. And my daughter, my beautiful daughter, I don't want to lose her, but she's a Bernie Sanders fan. Now, how old is she? She will be 30. And she's been married a year with a beautiful little granddaughter. Is the husband a big lip? I don't like him. (laughs) Mm. So I do just fine with her until she starts preaching. And then I hold my tongue and then I say, oh, really? I raised you better than that. You do not get anything in this country for free. You earn everything. There is no gold spoon in your mouth. Mm -hmm. You want free college. You want free Medicare. You want free insurance. You want free medicine. Where does that come from? We pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then I walk away. And then you know what I got for Mark? What's that? For Mother's Day, I ordered on Freedom of the Press. Ah, uh, perfect. Yeah. As a ma- matter of fact, here's what I'm going to do for you. You ordered on Freedom of the Press. There's two books. They're really companion books. Liberty and Tyranny. I, I'm going to give you... Do we have any Liberty and Tyranny left, Rich? I'm going to give you a Liberty and Tyranny, so don't hang up. We'll get your address, and we'll send it to you. Because if she reads Liberty and Tyranny, and she reads Unfreedom of the Press, which is, these are really companion books. Anyone who has Liberty and Tyranny really ought to get Unfreedom of the Press, and you'll see what I mean when it comes out. Uh, that should make a big difference. It really should if she'll actually sit down and read it. So, Brian, Great Falls, Montana, do not hang up. We're going to try and come to the rescue. Never fear, Mark is here. I'm quite serious about that, folks. They're two really great companion books, even though they're 10 years apart. Unfreedom of the Press and Liberty and Tyranny. If you have the former, you should get the latter. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, live and national. At 877-381-3811. Everybody, go to Facebook now or go to Twitter. My Facebook and Twitter, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. I just put another selfie up. I think that's my second, right, Mr. Reducer? Pretty good one, don't you think? I don't know. I'm having a hell of a good time on my book. I don't know if anybody else is. Well, of course, it's not out yet. But uh, I know you will. Now... Before I go on here, let's take a call from Laura, Memphis, Tennessee. How are you, Laura? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Um, just listening to uh, what Talib had said earlier, that clip you were doing. My father is an Arab. He was born in Nazareth, Israel. And... Uh, he came here to the States in his 20s. He's 83 now. But he has always taught me and my sisters to love the Jewish people. And he's always stated that the land, and this is coming from an Arab, the land is Israel's. It's not the Palestinians. And as an Arab American, I'm appalled by these two Muslims in office 
because they are anything but American. And it, it, well, you know what? I, I wouldn't. I have no problem with Muslims in office or anybody else in office, but these people are aggressively, radically anti-Semites. Yes. How can you? Yes, how can you? How can anyone say otherwise? You can't. It's 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 repulsive. The the things that come out of their mouths every day, the things that come out on their tweets every day, and. I tell you, it does not do the Palestinian people any good because, Mm -hmm. I mean, we are uh, labeled as like, if you say you're an Arab, it's like you are like them. The truth is the the Palestinian Arabs have no say in anything. You look at Hamas, you look at uh, Abbas. Uh, they are put down. They are under control in their own uh, by their own so-called governments. They have no say in anything. No, none at all. And I tell you, over there in Israel, and I say it's Israel with unashamedly. That's what it is. It's not going to be Palestine. It will never be Palestine. It's Israel. Uh, but over there. The people, my my dad is not Muslim. He is a born-again Christian. And that makes all the difference in the world in bringing up your children and teaching them the truth. The Muslim, though, they teach the hate. A lot of them, not all of them. Let me ask you a question. Where in the Middle East do Muslims have the greatest degree of freedom? In Israel. Oh, do Muslim women have the greatest degree of freedom in Israel? All right, Laura, I thank you for your call, my friend. Andre, Los Angeles, California, 870 The Answer, the great KRLA. And we're waiting to hear from you, Mr. Program Director out there at KRLA. We would like to have a opportunity to talk on your morning show uh, next week. Go right ahead. Hey, Mark, man, I just want to say I love your movement, man. And I love what your voice is doing and what you're doing for our community. I'm a black conservative out here in L.A., and it's really hard trying to fight through the media and fight through what they're saying. But, you know, people like you need to be on a bigger platform, and I really respect you, and I love what you're doing for the country. Well, you're very, very kind, and, of course, we're waiting to get on uh, 60 Minutes. What do you think of that, Andre? I mean, 60 Minutes has seemed like it's been a good neutral platform for media and messaging. But then they're not going to invite me on. They need to. We'll, we'll have to. we'll have to carry this ourselves, Andre. You, you got to keep it going, Mark. I know the fight may seem hard, but keep the fight going, man. You, we support you out here, just so you know that. Uh, don't. I appreciate it, man. Don't hang up, Mr. Producer. Let's get him a copy when it comes out of the new book, uh, Unfreedom of the Press, as well. I'm busy signing them, by the way. Harrison, Gloversville, New York, the great WABC. Go. Yes, how are you this evening? What I wanted to mention to you was the fact that Mark Twain said it when he was over there and other observers in the 19th century, when they went through the territory that was called Palestine, it was a desolate land with a few scattered Jews still living there and a nomadic peoples going through between the area of 
around Syria to Egypt, just going through it. But there, there was no Arab population there, none. And it wasn't until the Jews began settling in 1878 and began establishing an economic base that the Arabs that now call themselves Palestinians began coming in, largely in the 20s and 30s, because the Jews there were prosperous and other areas were economically slumped, and they came into Israel for opportunities to find jobs, etc., long before they were radicalized and not all of them were but you are exactly correct which is why your voice and those who agree with you will never be heard in the mainstream so-called media well there's another reason the jews are hated because of their position in god's plan that's another reason and i am a christian zionist by the way you're an evangelical christian no, not 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 part of that group. No, but have you ever heard of Charles Taze Russell? Uh oh, no. All right, Pastor Russell was a very early Christian Zionist who, in the eighteen seventies, went and spread the message that it was time, in God's plan, according to chronology, for the Jews to begin to return. That God's favor had returned to them to come back to their homeland. And he was a strong person who who spurred the Zionist movement and gave them hope. As a matter of fact, there's a park dedicated to him in Israel to this day. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, Harrison. Talking about unfortunately, unfortunately, for the media in our country, history began twelve minutes ago. Oh, that long ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is. History is irrelevant unless it's history that can be used to advance the progressive cause. We don't get any context. We don't get any perspective for what's taking place or what takes place. All right, Harrison, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Let's go to John Lincoln, Michigan, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Yes, Art, I'm uh, happy to talk with you. Uh, thank you. I, I, You had mentioned earlier in the show about Thanks a lot, Michigan, and we're very unhappy. Uh, most Michiganders are, are, I guess, uh, moderate to uh, slightly right of center, and uh, we're unfortunately all the other counties have to do what two or three in the lower populated areas dictate for us, and it's actually what's going on at the federal level, right? With four or five of the. Uh, people running the uh, judiciary committees and whatnot in Adler. Well, that's a fair point. Miss Pelosi, everything. So it's like we're a state model or a grassroots model of what's taking hold at the federal level. Mm-hmm. It's happening in a lot of states. You look at Maryland. Maryland is a decent-sized state, but it's controlled by really three counties, Baltimore County, uh, Prince George's County, and Montgomery County. Rest of the state's actually quite conservative. You look at Virginia. I mean, if it wasn't for Northern Virginia and the enormous population of federal bureaucrats, uh, many of whom obviously are liberal, and including the exburbs in uh, Virginia now, Loudoun County and so forth, and Prince Williams more and more, uh, you're quite right. Well, I urge uh, my fellow Michiganders to. Uh get a hold of her office and, and politely express uh, how they how they feel about the 
the uh, hatred, the, you know, anti-Semitic speech. Uh, and don't stop there. Let's get a hold of her boss, you know, uh, Miss Pelosi, her speaker of the House, and uh, let her know as well. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call as well. Some very, very fine calls we're getting tonight. Oh, yes. Right now, there are over 4,000 drugs being developed in the United States because our free market system encourages innovation. That's great news for the 60% of Americans now living and suffering with a chronic condition. So let me ask you a question. Why have Republican Senators Rick Scott and Josh Hawley joined self-avowed socialist Bernie Sanders and Democrat Roe Kahana in introducing legislation that would end U.S. leadership in drug treatments and new breakthroughs? They say price controls are the answer. I say they're deadly, and I'm deadly serious. Price controls would end hope for people in need of a new life-saving and life-changing drug treatments because it would dry up the investments necessary to develop them. Their so-called price controls plan is in reality access controls. Access controls. Like European socialized medicine, in order to save money, they'll simply deny access to the latest and best drug treatments to Medicare patients. A study by the Galen Institute showed that of 290 new medicines launched worldwide between 2011 and 2018, Americans had access to 90% of them. You know what? In Britain, they had access to 60%. In Japan, they had access to 50%. In Canada, they have access to 44%. That's wrong. Dead wrong. Get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com, TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. Nicomachean Ethics. Say that ten times quickly, Mr. Producer. But not in my ear. And it... <laughs> oh... And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Nicomachean Ethics, that's correct. Register for this free course, Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. I consider Aristotle one of the top three or four minds in human history that we're aware of. One of the top three or four. I'd say Leonardo da Vinci's up there. And then you can debate the others. But these two without question. And Aristotle in particular. In just 10 on-demand videos. Each only 30 minutes long. And absolutely free. You'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness. And make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. Now, if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. For the better. Hear about all these self-help books? This is the best one. 
Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. Except in your case, it's free. Absolutely free. But you have to go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right. Let's see if we can grab another call here or two. I'm pulling them up now, hopefully. Ooh, look at that. Kelly, Dallas, Texas, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, Mark. Yes, good sir. Up. Good evening, sir. I just wanted you to know that I'm a fan of yours. I'm originally from uh, Camden, New Jersey, up there in the Northeast. Well, listen, and I'm I... from uh, Philadelphia. I know exactly where Camden is, right across the Delaware. Yes, sir. I I just, just about a year ago when Trump became president, my eyes became open to the conservative movement, and I left the, the, the liberal dump heap, and I came over, and I'm so excited. I listen to you every day. Thank you. I, I had... I stopped watching the crazy MSNBC, and Mark, I'm going to tell you, you lift my spirit every day, you make me laugh, you make me learn, you make me study. I think you're the best, Mark. Keep up the great work, and I'm doing all I can to push the conservative movement. You know, it's near the end of the show, and I find you incredibly inspiring. I really do, Kelly. Don't hang up. We're going to give you a copy of Unfreedom of the Press. I'll sign it to you uh, as soon as it comes out in about eight days. So thank you. I know you'll like it, and I really appreciate you listening out there. How about we just grab Judy in Helmetta, New Jersey, on XM Satellite. Quickly, go right ahead, Judy. Okay. I worked for a furniture company, and they switched from China to Guatemala. Guatemala mm-hmm. was the furniture capital of the world years ago. Guatemala? Guatemala lost it all to China. The company opened up in the middle of a sea of empty warehouses. And once they moved in because they're a well-known company, everybody else opened up around them. It's only a day's trip to the United States. Mm -hmm. So that's the alternative to China. So you're saying there are options. There's a lot of options out there. Yep, there are options. Guatemala. I didn't know that that was a... uh... A, a, a furniture headquarters. Thank you very much. I see uh, Mayor DeCamio of New York thinks he should be president. I don't know of which country. I don't think Raul Castro is going to get up Cuba that easily. Going on and on about the Green New Deal. Why is it that stupid people think they know how to run an economy? This guy can't even run a city. Can't even run a city. DeCamio. And that's what he is, in my humble opinion. So, oh, I'm not allowed to say that? Well, I believe it. Another great piece at CR by Daniel Horowitz. i got to hit this fast. On Friday, Judge Mark Walker, the Northern District of Florida, ruled that Florida's Secretary of State must, I repeat, must instruct 32 of Florida's 67 counties to begin providing Spanish-language ballots with endless assistance, marketing, and advertisement based on his reading of the demographics in those jurisdictions. This same Obama appointee ruled last September that sample ballots in those counties must be printed in Spanish. Now he has extended the edict to Election Day ballots and marketing and assistance throughout the entire election process. Even if federal law required what Judge Walker is demanding, it would be an unconstitutional commandeering of state power over election law. Congress only has a small angle to get involved to set a national election day. Now, I want to explain this very quickly. 
your constitution would not have been adopted if all decisions about voting had been made by the federal government. This was a key concern, a key concern by the state governments. They wanted to retain the authority over much of what are the requirements for for state and local and including federal voting. Nothing in the text of the 14th or 15th Amendments fundamentally altered this arrangement of states controlling election law. Yet Judge Walker contends that Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act compels Florida to provide Spanish-language ballots and endless bilingual marketing and assistance for Puerto Ricans living in Florida who are deemed automatic citizens. He contends that the law prohibits... All right, you know what's going on here, right? This Obama appointee, Mark Walker, is trying to put his thumb on the scales and trying to make sure Florida goes Democrat in 2020 because if Trump doesn't win Florida, he can't win the presidency. That's what's going on here. Let's just be blunt. This judge is a political hack. That's what he is. And for the chief justice to say, well, there aren't Obama judges in there. Yes, there are. Stop talking stupid. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, law enforcement up and down the chain. Thank you. And we salute you, the greatest audience on the face of the earth. Please right now go to Amazon.com, order your unfreedom of the press. And I'll see you.